Ensure your next purchase is a real deal and shop authentic handbags, watches, sneakers, streetwear and jewellery from eBay, backed by Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You're listening to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Paul Muldoon, the poetry editor of the magazine, and it's a pleasure to speak with you today. On this program, we invite poets to choose a poem from the magazine. Uh, We discuss it, and then we ask the poet to read one of his or her own poems that's appeared in the New Yorker. And I'm delighted to say that my guest today is Calvin Trinan, who's been a contributor of long-form journalism, humour pieces and poetry to this magazine since 1963. Welcome, Calvin Trillin. Thank you, Paul. Now, the poem you've chosen to read is Autre Bête, Autre Meur by Ogden Nash. Ogden Nash, one of the great American poets, and uh, I assume he's someone that you've, you've been a fan of Ogden Nash for a long time. Yes, I admire Light First, and uh, he writes the same sort of poetry, although some people won't call it poetry, that uh, that I do in the sense that he writes light verse and is not what my family insists on calling a grown-up poet. Light verse. I mean, what, it seems an odd way of describing verse. I think we understand, uh, I suppose, what's meant by that. It's not somber verse. Right. It's not solemn verse. But that's not to say that it's not serious verse. Well, I suppose it could be serious. Mine are usually uh, attempts at humor, somewhat strained at times. I've always admired lyrics, which is in a way light verse. I was on a program once when I was asked if there was something I wish I had written that I didn't write, and I said right away, without even thinking about it, flying too high with some guy in the sky is my idea of nothing to do. I get, I get a, get a kick. kick out of you. Now, tell uh, us about what uh, what attracts you to that. Well, I like the playfulness in, in, that, in that one, particularly in the internal rhyme. And rhyme is important to light verse. Someone said to me once, well, here's a, something that rhymes with some politician or something. And I said, it doesn't quite rhyme. And they said, well, all those rhymes. And I said, hey, rhyme's all I've got. I can't give it up. Well, I get a kick out of you is, to my mind, as serious a piece of writing as Wordsworth's The Prelude. The fact that it's more akin to some of the work of, say, George Gordon, Lord Byron, shouldn't be an issue. That's why I myself am always slightly amused by the term light verse. I always wonder what heavy verse would look like. Hard to carry. I mean, it sounds as if it's a bit of a put-down, doesn't it? Yeah, and mine can be serious once. I once wrote a poem when people like Whoopi Goldberg and and Harvey Weinstein started saying that 
what Roman Polanski did was a so-called crime or that he was being persecuted. And I know one line was, why make him out to be Darth Vader for sodomizing one-eighth grader? Not funny, but... Well, that's right. I mean, it's uh, if one thinks of the work of Swift, if one thinks of the work of Pope or Dryden, they were capable of terrific satire, social commentary, as well as as humor. One of my favorite uh, poems by Pope, for example, is two lines long. I am his majesty's dog at Kew. Pray tell me, sir, whose dog are you? And this is a couplet inscribed on the uh, collar of a royal dog. <laughs> the, uh, I think Pope could have done musicals if he had been in a different age. It's not quite poetry, you say. I mean, it's as if the term verse uh, suggests that uh, work may be somehow again less serious than quote-unquote right. real poetry. I think it can. Also, I think one of the things that's happened is that poetry's changed. I'm not sure how people would feel about Pope these days if he came along. Well, verse, I suppose, of course, uh, is thought to refer to rhyming verse. Right. I mean, we know that there's such a thing as free verse, and as you say, that is more or less the norm. Mm. And indeed, there are those who say that uh, poetry that rhymes is, you know, old-fashioned, quaint, right. fuddy-duddy, and from a bygone era, right. and has really no place in the 21st century, uh, which is wrong-headed, in my opinion. But I don't quite understand why uh, so-called light verse, humorous verse, should not be more generally accepted as poetry. Well, I'm all for that, Paul. <laughs> you put your finger on it when you said that, that poetry has changed so that rhyme is somewhat suspect now, partly with its identification with uh, those long, embarrassing poems that the best man does at the rehearsal dinner. It's meant to tease the groom and actually just offends the mother-in-law. Well, um, that's right, because so much of it actually, the rhyming couplet, for example, is uh, the mainstay of doggerel. Yes. And doggerel is uh, something that we probably do want to avoid if possible, right. though it's not without its amusement. Right. My father wrote rhyming couplets. My father was a grocer for most of his working life, but at one point he had a restaurant and he wrote couplets on the menu at noon every day. Do you remember and, any of them? Oh, sure. M most of them were about pie. His shortest was don't sigh, eat pie. <laughs> uh, and he rhymed pie with evening is nigh and a number of things. And all right, warden, I'm ready to fry. I've had my last piece of Mrs. Trillin's pie. That was one of his. He was very interested in rhyme, not, not so much meter. I, I think the poem of his I particularly remember was, Eat your supper, Mom said to her little son, Roddy. <laughs> if you don't, I'll break every bone in your body. <laughs> well, you know, the use of rhyme in a menu is raises a smile, and it's actually quite memorable. I'll never forget wandering down a street somewhere in New York and seeing a sign on the side of a, a van, I guess a, a provisions van, that might well have, mm. in one ear, been going to your dad's restaurant. From fishes to knishes, one call gets them all. <laughs> That's very good. It's also quite pithy. It is. And in fact, even in this era, if one examines the structure of many, many advertisements, 
uh, they actually use rhyming couplets to a degree right. that one, uh, if one weren't sort of alert to it or conscious of it, one would be somewhat taken aback. Right. So, Calvin Trillin, uh, let's uh, hear this poem by Ogden Nash. The fish, when he's exposed to air, can show no trace of savoir-faire, but in the sea regains his balance and exploits all his many talents. The chastest of the vertebrates, he never even sees his mates, but when they've finished, he appears and okays all their bright ideas. The turtle lives twixt plated decks, which practically conceal its sex. I think it's clever of the turtle in such a fix to be so fertile. Autrebet, Autremer by Ogden Nash. Now, this kind of writing, often in this era, the word turtle indeed itself uh, summons up a particular turtle by the name of Yertle. Right. One of the reasons why rhyming verse is perhaps a little dismissed it has to do with its connection with the work of Dr. Seuss. Yes, although that's sort of brilliant work. I totally agree. I think it's yeah, absolutely yeah. splendid. One of the things that interests me about this poem is he uses a couple of what I think are called slant rhymes that are not exactly rhymes, but when they've finished, he appears and okays all their bright ideas. Though if um, you were from Boston... If you were from Boston or some <laughs> parts of New York, you could say ideas. Well, one thing that struck me listening to you read it was uh, he is, establishes the pattern of the iambic, uh, the fish, mm. when he's exposed to air. But then, of course, he subverts it and exploits his many talents. Yes. Would be how it w- we would expect it to read? Yeah, exactly. I noticed that. I would not have the nerve to do that, you see. It takes Ogden Nash or, or sometimes, remember once Cole Porter, instead of saying okay, said oak. It rhymes with joke or toke or something like that. But, yeah, he change, changes the meter for that one line, as far as I can see. It doesn't seem to bother him. And, my uh, father would, would agree with him. Why need meter? But I, I tend to stick with one, one or the other. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Oh. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> With access to so much information, it's hard to feel like an informed, discerning citizen. That's why on Make Me Smart, which is a podcast from Marketplace, we make it easy for you to stay in the know. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdahl. Every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I unpack the latest from Washington, D.C. Uh, the Senate Minority Leader has announced that he will step down as the Republican leader. What's happening in AI? 
I mean, don't buy at the top, but holy cow, artificial intelligence and all the companies related to it are the, the hot new thing. And we do the numbers. So as a refresher, inflation is the rate of increase in the prices of things. It's not just sort of things getting more expensive. It's the speed at which things get more expensive. Because in a world that's constantly changing, we all need to stay smart. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Now, in the December 13, 1999 issue, the New Yorker published your own poem, Calvin Trillin. It's called, Oh, Y2K, Yes, Y2K, How Come It Has to End This Way? Which is almost a poem in, in itself. This was uh, a poem written before what people would know math would say was incorrectly called the dual millennium. Uh, it was the year 2000. Actually, the millennium didn't end until 2001. And it was greatly feared then that the computers, which were somehow not set to register that millennium, uh, were going to go crazy. And uh, that was called Y2K. It was going to be, it was like going to be the end of the world. And then the, time, the day arrived, the hour arrived, the minute arrived. Nothing much happened. So here's Calvin Trillin uh, reading his poem, Oh, Y2K, yes, Y2K, how come it has to end this way? Just before you begin there, uh, there are a couple of words flying by. Uh, one of them is karoming. Karom, uh, a term, I think, from billiards, is it, or snooker? From billiards, I think, although they use it in croquet also. I think so too. What else might one point to? Pinochet, I suppose, some listeners... Yeah, Pinochet is... This was poem was written, what, 15 years ago. Pinochet was then indicted by a judge in uh, Spain for uh, human rights uh, crimes. And then I think he was in house arrest in London or someplace like that. That's right. We, and we probably, alas, a few more uh, characters have been vying for the position of the enemy in the intervening 15 years. So let's hear the poem. Now every day, to our dismay, we're told of yet more disarray that Y2K may put in play. A double zero on display in some computers could convey, since they are lacking thought per se, a false impression they'd obey, concluding in a faulty way which century it is that day, and thus unleash without delay the cyberbug called Y2K, then life won't be a cabaret." Oh, Y2K, yes, Y2K, how come it has to end this way? If circuits sizzle and saute the cables into macrame, those passengers then in Taipei with reservations for Bombay could find themselves in Saint-Tropez or on the road to Mandalay, and ferry boats to Monterey would dock on time, but in Calais. Quadillos off on holiday could all end up with Pinochet. And in a brief communique, the Pentagon might have to say it cannot fight the smallest fray because it's lost the dossier of soldiers to be told that they must leave the service come what may, the list that lists each Green Beret who privately has said he's gay. Oh, Y2K, yes, Y2K, how come it has to end this way? The lobbyists who work on K see all their loopholes go astray and benefit the EPA, and thinking this is like Pompeii, a doomsday in the USA, 
Militiamen in full array go underground and say they'll slay whoever tries through naivete to take the food they've stored away or criticize the NRA. The ATMs begin to spray. Fresh 20s fall like new-mown hay. The traffic lights all go to gray as celebrator slurs ole as cars begin to ricochet like balls caroming in croquet and slyly slowing his sachet he just escapes a Chevrolet. There's darkness on the Great White Way. Nearby, a fussy, smug gourmet who's had some quail and duck pate and finished with marron glacé sips cheap Hungarian rosé that in the dark the sommelier mistook for rare curvoisier and says, in French, of course, parfait. Oh, Y2K, yes, Y2K, how come it has to end this way? But maybe it will be okay as peaceful come this janvier, as water lilies by Monet, as lyrics sung by Mel Torme, or herds of grazing Charolais. For just such peacefulness we pray. We say, oh, s'il vous plaît, Yahweh. But still we're scared of Y2K. There's no one who remains blasé. No awesome monsters held such sway since King Kong grabbed the fair Fay Ray. We try to keep our fears at bay, but one fear makes us say, Oy vey, and here's the fear we can't allay. God's thinking of pulling the plug, and not with a bang, but a bug. Parfait. <laughs> <laughs> <Merci>. brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. You know, the end there, of course, you've got the little allusion to Elliot, I suppose, the world ending not with a bang. Yes, that's right. And, but a and, and also changes from a monorhyme to a different kind of rhyme. Now, the monorhyme, tell us a little bit about the monorhyme. Well, I didn't know what a monorhyme was, and then I met a grown-up poet who explained that a monorhyme is when all the rhymes have the same sound, and I enjoy writing them. And I enjoy writing about Eliot. I, I did a piece once for an Authors Guild benefit in which five or six of us were asked to reject famous works of literature. Garrison Keillor rejected Walden Pond, Mm-hmm. By Thoreau, he said that there were a lot of good um, aphorisms, but the structure was weak. He suggested making it into a calendar. <laughs> and um, I rejected The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. It was an iambic pentameter, of course. And the last couplet was, I know this is a blow, Tom, not to worry. You're still the greatest poet from Missouri. <laughs> well, the thing about Tom Eliot from Missouri, of course, is that if one examines his uh, his complete poems, Many of them are written in a style which I suppose in some intellections might be thought of as quote-unquote light. There's a lot of humor right. there, including in the wasteland. Yeah, and J. Alfred Prufrock has in the room the women come and go talking of Michelangelo. Absolutely. In this poem I also notice the fact that there's a lot of uh, French just as we had in Autrebet. Outremer, the title, of course, of the Ogden Nash poem. Do you think that in addition to there being something intrinsically smile-provoking about the monorhyme, that certainly in the context of a a phrase like this, we say, oh, s'il vous plaît, Yahweh, that Mm. there's something intrinsically funny about the French language? About French? 
Well, I think French in an odd place is, is funny. I mean, I mean we're training on very dangerous ground here. That's of right. It's it's not funny when Prime Minister Hollande makes a speech, but I think uh, kind of thrown in. Also, the thing about French is it has some of those clean verbs like the a sound. I have occasionally uh, used foreign language, uh, mostly Spanish, occasionally Yiddish. When Yugoslavia broke up and there was the big uh, squabble with Croatia and everybody, I did a poem which. Croatians are the good guys now, although their past is slightly shady. <laughs> so worry not that these same guys chased both your Bubby and your Zadie. Mm. You know, of course, it's not that there's anything intrinsically uh, humorous about uh, French. Uh, let's, let's make that clear. But I suppose in the context in which it may be used in a slightly pretentious way, yes. in, the, in the midst of uh, what is... Where, where the gourmet says parfait after drinking the cheap Hungarian rosé. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Calvin Trillin. Thank you, Paul. It's good to be here. Oh, Y2K, yes, Y2K, How Come It Has to End This Way, by Calvin Drillon, as well as Ogden Nash's poem, Autre Bet, Autre Meur, can be found on newyorker.com. Calvin Drillon's most recent book is Quite Enough of Calvin Drillon, 40 Years of Funny Stuff, which it certainly is. Ogden Nash's final book of poems, The Old Dog Barks Backwards, was published in 1972. You can hear more poetry read by the authors in the tablet edition of the magazine. I'm Paul Muldoon, the poetry editor of The New Yorker, and until next time, goodbye. Ochebet Ochemer by Ogden Nash is used by permission of Curtis Brown Limited, copyright 1930, all rights reserved. You can subscribe to this podcast and other free New Yorker podcasts in the iTunes store. You can hear more poetry read by the authors in newyorker.com and on the digital edition for tablets and phones at no extra charge from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is The Pintigree Ferryman from the album The Highlander's Farewell by Alastair Fraser and Natalie Ross from Colburny Records. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm.